millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a rock. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very good. Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this incredibly cool episode, Emily Trinkus joins us to talk about big picture astrology, and we get to the bottom of my new moon time of the month thing, which is absolutely fascinating. Now, she is going to be located down below, as well as our creative expansion artist who joins us as well, Whitney Fox. To enjoy all of that, check the video version linked down in the show description, as well as the transcript. Not for the art, obviously, if you just like to read along. That is linked for free down below. And if you want to come join our Patreon Hangouts, check out the link located down there as well that reads as such. Now, also want to mention our Expanding Reality Excursions Befriending Bigfoot event. This is our first one. We're very excited about it taking place May 15th through the 20th in beautiful Blairsville, Georgia on a 27-acre farm out there called Sugarboo Farms. You guys check out the uh, website at least just so you can see the pictures of this damn place. This intimate conference will feature Bigfoot adventure hikes in three different states, river kayaking, nightly presentations from such incredible presenters as Alexander Petikoff, Chris Matthew, Dave Zed, and Preston Dennett, just to name a few. Along with that, we're going to be doing some UFO watching and jam sessions in the evening, so come hang out with those guys. Check out expandingrealitypodcast.com slash events for more on that. And that is another announcement. Expandingrealitypodcast.com is back up and running. We have our three different expansion projects on there. The show, the publishing, and the events recently added. So go check it out, guys. Cam Kari, shout out for that. He did an amazing job on that. If you guys need a website, hit him up. He's located at the bottom of the website. I'm also going to link him below in the show notes titled Website Master there. Go check it out, guys. ExpandingRealityPodcast.com. Now, let's get to this amazing episode with Emily Trinkus. Welcome to the show, Emily Trinkus. We'll call her Trinkus, but Emily Trinkus, it's nice to see you. And I uh, wanted to mention that we have the great and powerful Whitney Fox joining us 
for our Creative Expansion Live art series that we're doing here. Now, all the ways to find both ladies will be located down in the show description. Uh, you can find Whitney's art at the link down there, her website, and she's just got some amazing things going on. She's part of our ex Creative Expansion artists, and uh, we're grateful for her for hanging out. So we'll be able to tell you what's going on with these piece with this piece whenever we're uh, finished with the episode here upon release but just wanted to thank her for hanging out and her energetic contribution to the kinetic learners such as myself for uh just brightening this beautiful thing up look at that happy to be here love <laughs> it thank you Whitney and Emily so cool to see you you and I have spoken I've got a link in the patreon which will be located down below it's a link over to your Substack, which features uh, our conversation um where you as a host just Caught me in an awesome time with your energy and you have amazing way of pulling out just the realness in your guests, you know, and I'm uh, tearful by the end of it and in parts. And I mean, it was just incredible. So thank you for your energy. I had to get you over here. Uh, you are a connection, I would like to say, from the universe of Kate Montana. Uh, and she's been on before and we had a wonderful conversation with her. So just wanted to thank you so much uh, for being so awesome and welcome you to the show. Remind everybody that all the ways, again, to find you will be located down in the show description. But for the audience here that might not be too familiar, do you mind just letting us know who you are? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you, Brandon. It is an honor to be on your podcast. I'm a huge fan. I love that you expand our reality and have definitely blown my mind on many occasions. I appreciate that. Come on. And um, yeah, I'm a professional astrologer. I've been doing astrology professionally since 1999. So I'm coming into my 25th year. And um, I also have a background in energy medicine. I studied polarity therapy and body talk and Reiki and reflexology and herbalism and flower essences. So I, I don't practice uh, energy medicine anymore, but it's very much a part of what I do as an astrologer. So I really approach astrology as a healing art. And then I also have a background as a writer. I led creative writing workshops and retreats for about 20 years. And, um, and I, I also do some art on my own. So I love I love that art is happening as we're talking. And I also really love supporting artists in their creativity, because as we know, uh, making art, leading a creative life, there can be some challenges and struggles and resistance and all of that. So it's my absolute joy to support people to really bring out their creative gifts. So that's a little bit about me. Beautiful. That's a lot of it about you and we're grateful for it. No, this is so cool. I have so many amazing questions for you here. And um, the first one would be, honestly, we're going to get to astrology, but I want to know what your detachment from energy work looked like. What Was it just a calling to move on or was there something that just didn't sit right with you in the field that was the reason that you moved on? I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I think it was um, just kind of ready to move on. I, I started practicing um, this is maybe early 2000s and um, and was doing it in conjunction with astrology. So I did straight up astrology readings and also did some energy healing sessions and then also had a way of combining the astrology and energy work, which was actually really cool because astrology is a great kind of diagnostic tool to say like, here are the issues. And then the energy work was helpful, I think, to help move some of the issues. But honestly, I think I, I got a little burnt out on client work and I've gone through periods in my life where I've just like not worked with clients 
at all and uh, have focused instead on writing and teaching. Um, I've been teaching astrology for over 20 years now, um, and I really love doing that. But I, I think there is something about doing the healing work that was just uh, got me to kind of enmeshed or, yeah, it, it was challenging for me. So I stepped away from that. Okay. Well, fair enough. And it's an honest answer, and I'm grateful for it. Um, the astrology is fascinating. Now, I have uh, done the show a little over three years now, and every, every, on most of this, all the topics we talk about are wild and all over the place, and we have some incredible people on, and everything just goes all over. Now, astrology has been one of those things in the phenomena, if you want to say that, one of those esoteric concepts. It's pretty gaslit, if you want, in the mainstream. Um, then it, it, But it's one of those things that's always caught my eye because it's been so fascinating in the reflections and results that I've seen. And especially now, uh, my wife, Mary, is very into, she's taken Ksenia's class. She's already on the second thing. She's loving this. And so we're just immersed in these concepts. I'm about North nodes and mid heavens and all kinds of stuff, right? So what's fascinating even more to that is, is the more I look into it and the more it surrounds and seems to find me in my life, like people like you, uh, it, it seems to amplify its importance and its validity and its mystery still. So Let's talk first about how you got into astrology personally, and then we're going to get really deep into this thing. Cool. Yeah. And and I want to say, like, I think astrology is very uh, distorted and diminished in terms of the mainstream and how it's presented. And I think that's purposeful because I think it's an incredibly powerful tool. And yes. my sense is that the, you know, 1%, the parasite class, they are using astrology all the way, you know, um, there's a there's a saying that millionaires don't use astrology, billionaires do, right? And and no doubt they are using it. Um, and and I'll also say something else I like to say is I don't believe in the same astrology you don't believe in. So because most people don't actually know what astrology is, or they think it's sun signs and horoscopes. Yeah, of course, that's ridiculous, right? And not to say there there aren't some, you know, well-written horoscopes, not to say that sun signs don't matter. They do, but that's one tiny part of what astrology is. Um, so for me, I discovered astrology when I was 13. And there was a book called Linda Goodman's Sun Signs. I don't know if you came across that. But I that have was... it. I have a crazy story about that book, but go ahead. Okay, cool. Because actually, a lot of people have crazy stories about that book. And this was one of the for people who don't know it. This was really one of the first, um, like mainstream astrology that really brought astrology back into the mainstream. I think it must have come out in the 70s, maybe, um, maybe early 80s. Anyway, I read that when I was 13. And it, it was like the light turned on. It was just like, okay, suddenly everything makes sense. And I, you know, I grew up in a very intellectual, atheistic, East Coast, non-woo. Oh, there it is. I know so many people who were woken up by that book, who were woken up to astrology by that book. Pretty cool. So, and, and for me, I think at the time, it was like a way to organize my reality, because I grew up in a very chaotic and unstable and uh, crazy environment. And there was something very reassuring about being able to look at people in my life and just say, oh, it's not that there's something wrong with her. She's just an Aries, right? 
she's she's doing Aries. Oh, and and here's my sister doing Capricorn, and here's me doing Virgo. And it 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 gave some order to the chaos, and I think also um, helped me to accept myself and to accept other people. I think that's huge. And I think a lot of people are initially drawn to astrology because it seems to give you some element of control. <laughs> so this, you know, especially when it comes to anything predictive, oh, if I know what's going to happen, then I'll be safe. Or if I if I know if this person's going to be a good person, then I'll be safe, right? And I think instead, like, so I'll, I'll say, you know, uh, that was probably part of my attraction to it initially. But in retrospect, I think what astrology did for me initially was gave me a connection to something beyond the materialist paradigm that I was really steeped in. And at the time, I was still very much in that atheistic mindset, but I knew astrology worked and I, I didn't know how it worked. I just knew that it worked. And I'm sure there's some very good scientific reason for it, but it worked. But I, I feel like that was this thread to the mystery, because one of the ways that I've described my journey with astrology is as an apprenticeship to the mystery, because the more you get into it, and I'm sure you're having this experience and Mary's having this experience, the more you get into it, the more it fucking blows your mind, Dude. like the more outrageous it is. And if astrology works, then the the realm we live in is so mind blowing and so mysterious and so wild like it it has to shatter your you know limited materialist paradigm um so anyway so i got into astrology when i was 13 and it was like a secret passion or my best friend and i were both really into it so we would try to find out you know if we had a crush on a boy like when's his birthday and do secret analyzing of everyone and i was on this path to become an academic i was always good at school I, I love to learn. I love to teach. I love to write. So I thought, of course, I'm going to be a teacher. And I ended up in graduate school in a PhD program and realized this is not my beautiful life. And <laughs> for all kinds of reasons, dropped out, got a master's, but dropped out and then just was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, I landed in New York City, where, which was the place of my birth, and I actually returned there at my Saturn return. This was all very, uh, whatever, divinely orchestrated. Anyway, then I just completely got obsessed with astrology. It had always been in the background, and I'd been learning what I could along the way and studying people's charts and studying my chart. And then this full-on obsession came in at my Saturn return. And I started studying with a teacher for the first time in New York City, uh, John Marcusella, who's an amazing teacher. And, the, and then I started doing readings for friends. And then, you know, just like, it was basically like, hey, I need practice. I don't care if you don't believe in astrology, let me just do a reading for you, <laughs> you know. Um, but then they told their friends. And so then I had to start charging money for it. And, you know, and it just built very organically from there. Um, so it was never like my career plan and certainly my uh, career advisor in high school or in, in college never said you'd make a great astrologer, but it just, yeah, that that became my path. And I feel like, you know, I, I know a lot of people who say they they hear the astrology and it never sticks, 
and I totally get that. That's how I am with um, tarot cards. Like I've I've studied and I've tried and just like this doesn't stick. But astrology is just it's my language. I, from the the get go, I just felt like I get it. This is yeah. Thank you. This now everything makes sense. So maybe there's some past life component there. I don't know, but yeah, that's that's my story. So interesting. You may have said it, and I apologize for if you're repeating yourself, but what age did your Saturn return occur? The Saturn return happens for everyone right around age 29. Okay. Yeah, the first Saturn return. Now right. I'm approaching my second one. 58. Okay. How do you feel going into your second one compared to the having one under your belt, let's say? I actually, I, I know Saturn gets a bad rap. I kind of loved my Saturn return. And, you know, not that it wasn't challenging, but it was very defining <laughs> as as we would expect Saturn to be um, in terms of what's my true path. I mean, often what happens, and so for anyone who is around age 29 or coming up on that birthday, um, and really it, it tends to be in effect, you know, from like 28 to 30 or somewhere around that time frame. Um, and there can be a lot of fear and drama about it. But it, it's really about coming into integrity with who you are at the deepest level and separating from who everyone expected you to be, who society expected you to be, who your family expected you to be, and really going on your own path. So often there is a big you know, there many doors can close during the Saturn return and then also doorways can open. And so for me, that was, you know, the Saturn return when I started, you know, really going for it with astrology, when I started leading creative writing workshops, when I started learning energy medicine, like that all happened at the same time. And for me, it was a huge spiritual awakening, really. Um, as, uh, Saturn does hold that that quality of awakening and coming into clarity. And um, I'm 55 now, so I've got a couple years before my second Saturn return. And I, I remember um, listening to really wonderful astrologer Darby Costello talk about coming into hers or being in her second Saturn return. She's like, everyone says it's easier, but I actually think it's harder because people think you're supposed to know something by the time you get to the second one. And instead you realize you don't know anything. And I, I, and at the time I thought, oh, haha, that's so cute. But now that it's now that I'm coming to that age of I, I get it. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, the first Saturn return, there's a lot more like, yes, this is it on path. Here I go. And the second Saturn return. And I think this is part of aging or maybe wisdom, this acknowledgement of how little we actually know. And I think, you know, for myself, the past couple of years, especially has just been such a dismantling of a lot of things that I thought I knew or understood or how things were. So it, I'd say it's humbling about that. It's amazing. Well, and I mean, it makes sense, but yes, age and wisdom are going to be the same crank on the same handle there. You know what I mean? So it would make sense that coming into this when you do have a new sensibility, plus your zero fucks factor, right? As you get a little older, cause I'm already in uh, minus fucks, you know what I mean? So I, I, I get it with this. And it's interesting. Again, the perspective you have, having traversed this territory before in air quotes there that word um i would like to know if people are bound to the attributes of their signs like these you you said it earlier oh i'm such a virgo or you're such a libra because right but 
I've heard also things in astrology saying you're more like your rising sign than your moon or that your rising sign is how you appear to everyone. Your sun sign is how you feel you appear to everyone, right? Something like this. And so really you're embodying an expected quality, but it manifests itself in different ways, which is part, it sounds like part of the whole program because everyone does this. So it's really interesting. Um, so just talk about, if you don't mind, uh, people's ability or ability to recognize at least uh, transcending their attributes of their sign and not being pigeonholed into that. Yeah. Well, let me talk about the sort of first part of your question first in terms of, you know, these different parts of the chart. And just to say, as you know, as some people know, um, your birth chart includes all the planets. And so it is quite complicated. So in terms of, um, let's just start with the sun and moon, obviously two very important parts of the chart. There's an old idea that if you were born at night, if you were born with your sun below the horizon, that the moon is actually more powerful in your chart. So there are some people, and I don't, yeah, some people who have night charts who relate more to their moon than to their sun. Um, one of the sort of annoying, but maybe also fun things about astrology is that there are so many different ways that people interpret astrology. So I go with the idea, and, and this has felt true for me, that the rising sign, like you said, that's how we present ourselves to the world, um, people's first impression of us. Um, I also, I, and I heard another astrologer say this, I don't remember who it was, or I would give her credit, but who said our rising sign is the personality we developed in order to survive our childhood. Damn. So, um, so, um, and then that, that the sun is like the light of our true self and that the sun is more of a process of becoming. So this is, this is part of the distortion of, Oh, you're a Capricorn. So you're a, you know, social climber or whatever. And there's a lot of distortions around each of the signs. That's certainly one of them. Um, you're ambitious. You're this, you're that. We're actually, the sun is about how we become ourselves. It's more of a process and something we grow into. Whereas with the moon, when we're born, we're all moon. The moon is our, our body, our emotions, our needs, our sense of safety. The moon is automatic, but the sun is like where we go on the, the hero's journey or heroine's journey to become ourselves. Um, so just to say, like, there are so many elements going on in the chart, it can be quite complicated. But also what I was starting to say, people have their different ideas um, in esoteric astrology, the idea is that the ascendant or rising sign, that's your true self. And that the sun is more like your ego or something. And I've, you know, I, I've played, I, I have Gemini as my rising sign, which means I'm, I have multiple personalities. That means, I, means I'm very open and I, and I like exploring, like I'm very non-dogmatic when it comes to astrology. Like I like exploring, you know, um, Hellenistic astrology and evolutionary astrology and looking at a lot of different perspectives. And I think what I've done over my life is kind of take what seems useful from these different teachings and teachers to put it together in a way that that works for me. Um, but I really just in terms of my own experience, 
I feel more like the the Virgo sun for me is more like my true self. And then my Gemini comes out like when I, you know, when I'm meeting people, when I'm teaching, when I'm putting myself out there. But I, I've always felt like like an introvert Virgo trapped in an extrovert's body, Gemini. So that's that's what feels true to me. An introvergo. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just interesting uh, when you paint it in this light um, and, you know, you don't do like a paint a broad brush over, let's say, Aries, for instance, like our amazing artist is doing here with very fine brushes. Actually, there's many brushes she's utilizing to paint that picture. And so this is a wonderful metaphor for what we're talking about here is that there's many nuances to this. And to see them in the right lenses and lights is very important because just as it's gaslit to its importance, there's also some gatekeeping keeping apprehenders right at the front that will shift you a bit off. Now, I have a question about what you think about this idea that all of this actually, and, which crumbles your entire system, by the way, uh, that all of this is just a degree off. And so therefore, everything has been inverted and captured in the same way that sound frequencies were hijacked, I think, in the 50s from 432 to 440, changed to that standard tuning, right? And so it altered us in a way that's very destabilizing. I think the calendar does this as well. But uh, things like this are very interesting. So what do you think about that, that shifted degree, um, I guess, conspiracy theory, if you want to call it that? <laughs> um, you know, I'm actually not familiar with that. I mean, certainly I'm familiar with the sidereal zodiac versus the tropical zodiac yeah. and have a you know different understanding of that. But I would say in general, like astrology, astrology is not the ultimate reality, right? I think astrology is amazing for how we navigate the matrix. Sort of a map of a set of conditions potential, right? And then your disposition based on those conditions and what can't what the soup will inspire, but it's up to you to sort of create out of that soup. Is that That's how I like to think about it. And you know, the, the astrologer Rick Levine said we we ultimately can't know whether there is free will. But I think it's a good idea to operate as if that's, that's true, right? So th that's what I'm going with. Because ultimately, I don't know, you know, I can think like, I'm creating it. It's my idea. It's my will. And maybe it was all faded ahead of time. Who knows? Who knows? But I'm certainly going to operate as if um, I have free will. And yeah, the way I like to think about it is that the the astrology chart, which is basically, you know, what were the energies that were present at your time of birth and that we're an embodiment of that energetic mirror of this specific frequency that is never to be repeated, right? Like your birth chart is based on your exact time and place of birth. So unless someone else was born in that exact place at that exact time, no one else has that chart. So you have this unique expression of these frequencies and I don't see anything in astrology as good or bad. I think that's part of the distortion. I think that's a very useless way of looking at it. It's energy, right? Um, or we could think about it as weather also in terms of the current, you know, it's raining. Oh, that's terrible if you want to go on a picnic, but that's great if you want to water your garden, you know, it's just it's just what's happening. Um, so, so, yeah, so I think of it like the birth chart as this, like map of energetic potential and that everything can be expressed at a high level or a low level. It can be expressed at a conscious level or at an unconscious level. Um, and I think the more that we understand our charts, the more we're aware of what those energies 
you know, which energies are present, that's that helps us bring more awareness to to ourselves and helps us utilize those energies in more positive ways. So it's kind of like, you know, with genetic material and, and there are the people who say like, oh, your genes determine everything and oh, you're born with a cancer gene. So we're going to cut off your breasts or whatever, you know. And, and some people look at astrology that way, too. Like, oh, you've got Venus square Pluto. You'll never have love in your life. Give it up right now. You know? Whereas whereas I don't, you know, I don't see health that way. Um, I don't see the chart that way. I, I think astrology is more useful for telling you what are those subconscious patterns that are blocking you? Um, what sort of uncovering our um ways that we think it's this is just how it is right within ourselves and then seeing like oh that's just let me actually step back from my my patterns and get this higher perspective which i think is part of what astrology is great at like if we're looking at a chart if we're looking at the map of the psyche then i'm over here looking at it so there's a part of me that can detach and observe and get, you know, maybe a a neutral, higher perspective to be able to see, oh, okay, oh, this could be different. Um, So yeah, that's, that's how I see astrology being utilized at the, you know, higher, more productive level, more empowering level. Do you think that astrology is the biggest clue to that we are absolutely living in a matrix here? A simulated reality. It could be. I mean, because essentially astrology is a science of time, right? And it's and it's um, it can be so literal. And I'm sure you're having this experience too, as you get more into it, where it's it's just ridiculous. It's laughable. So there, there's something. Well, I like, uh, I don't, I imagine maybe, you know, Crow 777. I, I love Crow. He's been on love, uh, time and then he was on our oh, 200th awesome. episode. We love Crow. Yeah. Awesome. So how he calls it the sky clock. And I think that's perfect, right? Because it's just telling us what time it is. And the fact that there is a sky clock, the fact that there is something telling us what time it is, means that there is divine order. There is you know, and what what we extrapolate from that, I don't know, but it, it seems like there there is orchestration here. We're not in this random, chaotic. No, if you study astrology at all, you see that there's there is order. There is divine order. It's just really interesting when you start to look at this, the the way that, again, if you get past the gatekeepers and all that kind of stuff and you really start taking interesting looks at it, there's books written on these and they're fairly consistent as far as the attributes go. Now, what's interesting about that is, is that there are consistent attributes, right? That this is a sky clock, as it were. Again, we can we can absolutely have the conversation about if we're a ball hurtling through space, why does it stay the same? And we can we can have that conversation, which I love. But uh, for now, though, let's just say that it's interesting that there seems to be a set of factors, a set of algorithms available to each of us. And they're in threes, right? Your sun, your rising and your moon. Now, at this time, these things are focused in a Trinity-focused type area that whenever you're born, a stamp is created. A new entity has been minted that no other will ever replace and duplicate, right? 
in this way, if this is sort of a simulated universe or something like that, then this would be an interesting way to introduce consistent algorithms that could be then measurable, right? Because you could say, okay, this set of factors contributed to this set of everything. And now this is on a scale that our minds probably are going to have a challenge computing, but it seems fascinating to me that reading through this stuff, when Mary's like, oh, you have four planets in your third house and your Pluto and your Mars make you really outspoken and witty. And I'm just like, yeah, man, fuck these, fuck authority. Like I get, it's so interesting though, that it also describes things about me. I don't feel I have the power to change, alter, see differently or control. So this is where I think the argument of free will comes in. Cause the more you study astrology, you're starting to sit here going, hang on, I'm exactly like this. And whenever now we're comparing charts to like uh, mine, for instance, Mary's doing this for damn sure. She's collecting everybody's, her list on her chart uh, site is just long and she flips between, she's like, look at this and this and this. And having to do with planets below the horizon, above the horizon, attributes we see in people, what she's seeing in the chart and how it am amazingly reflects the things around us. So it's like, it can be predicted almost. Like you could almost like, um, create the antichrist with the right set of soup the right material if you knew when to exactly to the second have that baby with this set of conditions maybe then you could force it into situations that you knew it would predictably react in and then create this like super soldier army of crazy nuts in this amazing way or you know it could come out in some very fascinating ways right i mean i don't mean to go dark on it but what i'm saying is is that there's potential here for it to be sort of uh predicted you know yes and no Yes and no, because on the one hand, yeah, on the one hand, we can think about astrology as a natural science, you know, in the sense that we can observe, oh, Mercury's retrograde, so you could expect these things to happen. Well, let me look and see if those things happen. Yep, there they are. Or, you know, Virgos are like this. Well, let me look at that. Let me see if that's true. It's it's a natural science. However, I think I don't think you can look at a chart and say this person's going to be the antichrist or this person's going to be like the most enlightened person possible and and often the really extreme charts you know there, there are certainly charts with like oh my god there's you know they've got the grand cross and all these hard angles and pluto and blah um and you say like damn that's a killer chart what 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 makes the biggest difference is what level of consciousness that soul is coming in with so the level of consciousness with which they are expressing those energies. When you look at a super gnarly chart, there's a lot of power there. And you don't know what direction that's going to go in. It all depends on that soul's level of consciousness. So I think that's the kind of X factor here. And, you know, when it comes to prediction, of course, there we're talking about two different things, or there's two main things in astrology. One is the birth chart and can we predict what kind of person this will be and then there's like what are the current influences and can we predict what's going to happen you know and i think when it comes to that that second kind of prediction um astrology is amazing and like ridiculously accurate when it comes to predicting energies and archetypes but outcomes and events, no. And I think what, that's where we can get in trouble. Yeah, I love, let's get in some trouble then. Let's say that time travel is a thing and time travel absolutely exists. And the way that 
people are manipulated, things are done, and free will seems to be present in everyone's life is through seeming events that are maybe measured and calculated based off of your birth chart. And they say, okay, if we zoom over here to her Saturn return, we're going to do this at this point. That's going to steer her in this direction. We'll make sure all those players are in play and then steer it. Could Do you think it's even possible that something like that would happen? Because then, I mean, ideally your birth chart then is like your the nail in your coffin, one could say, because then you could absolutely be visited at crucial times. Let's say you're Pluto square. Let's say there's really challenging times and just be pushed to suicide, let's say, or something like that. Uh, it's just interesting how these predictable things could then be manipulated in a way. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and, I, and I will say, you know, as I said earlier, absolutely – uh, the world management team is using astrology and you can see when there's a big event, uh, a 9-11 or a Maui fire or whatever, you know, you can look at the charts of those events and be like, well played Shakespeare, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, right on, you know, way to, way to utilize those energies for your nefarious purposes. Um, now, to your question about time travel, yeah, I, this is where I have the big, I don't know. Yes, I think it's all, I think it's all possible. And, I, and again, I think, yeah, it's possible that free will is a complete illusion. It's possible this is all scripted. It's possible we're being manipulated. And to that point, I would say, again, there's something beyond astrology. Like, and this is where... I think people get in trouble in terms of giving too much power to astrology. Like it is incredibly powerful, obviously. I, you know, obviously I think so. Obviously I love it. Um, and it's, it is not the ultimate ground of reality. Um, I think this was in Autobiography of a Yogi where um, Yogananda, right? Where, where he would, and of course, in India, astrology is everything, right? Huge. And they're, they are very predictive. And he would, before he went on like a lecture tour, he would ask an astrologer to tell him the worst possible times astrologically. And he would book his tour according to the worst possible times astrologically to prove that there's this whole other level of reality that it, that astrology is not the ultimate truth it's it's the matrix but beyond the matrix there's pure consciousness and i think if if and when we are able to tap into that level of pure consciousness we go beyond i mean in a sense we could I, i've been listening to a lot of tony sayers thank you for the introduction and you know and he talks a lot about 4d and 4d being the level of the archetypes and 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 I think that's astrology. That yes. And so one could then say that maybe at your time of birth, let's say your soul, your little baby soul, okay, comes into a body, but right before it does so, you're making your contract and your agreement up front, right? And and you're going, Oh, this will be fun and ooh, yeah, I'll get to do this and cool, learn how to ride a bike. And but behind you in some glass you can't see behind or even perceive, there's another contract being written and it's your birth chart. And it has to do with, yes, plopping you on the planet for the most strategic outcome for this fourth level's payoff, right? And so this is just another interesting thing. Again, when we look at this as like maps, because I'd like for you to discuss the Pluto square, if you don't mind. That's something I've been sort of talking about on the show here, having just gone through that and that being my flashlight to astrology. Mary kind of always tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, it might be because of this. Now, that tells me that's 
a lot of people knew, or at least a level, a lot of things knew that I would be feeling that way and that'd be a great time to visit me at that time. So again, I, I sort of feel that it could be, again, not astrology's fault, almost like a map of, hey, here's how you're going to get kind of probably fucked throughout your life kind of a thing. You know, here's when these archons are looking forward to being able to take advantage of you in this state, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is, I think it is great to be aware of what your transits are, what the, how the planets in the sky are relating to or interacting with your birth chart, because there are certain times, like you mentioned suicide before, there are certain times when we want to take that really seriously. And, you know, especially looking at, you know, young people's charts and be like, yeah, this, this is a time they really need support. They need an intervention. We need to be paying attention here. Um, and yeah, and that, there are just real quick. And that based on the idea of archons would be the perfect time to settle in over that thing and to really go to work and to really put that despair to work and really to pump it. And then usually maybe it'll get some good results. And then, you know, if you get through it, cool, then, you know, God was just testing you and great job. You know, you've got many more uh, opportunities to be on the brink of suicide in the future. We'll, we'll see you then kind of a thing. And that that's sort of like the challenging part of getting whimsy out of this thing anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hadn't considered that before. And I think that's a really uh, brilliant insight. This, this, um, like the, the archons, entities, whatever, identifying these times of extreme vulnerability as we go through these different um, transits. So yeah, let's talk about Pluto. And I, I was born with my son conjunct Pluto. So I'm a, I'm a Plutonian. I, I love talking about Pluto. Um, Pluto, for those who don't know, Pluto is like the archetype of Kali. It's the, the destroyer. It's um, the god of the underworld. Or, you know, I tend to think it has a more feminine energy in the sense that it's like a lot about surrender. And, you know, so underworld god or goddess, um, the underworld journey. And one of the transits that everybody goes through, um, just like the Saturn return, everyone goes through Saturn return around age 29 and then 58. Everyone goes through what's called Pluto square Pluto. When Pluto in the sky is forming a 90 degree angle or a square to Pluto in your birth chart. And because Pluto's orbit or however the fuck it works is so elliptical, Pluto spends a very long time in some signs like Pluto just went into Aquarius. It's going to be there for 20 years. Um, Pluto spent about 15, 16 years in Capricorn. So it spends a different amount of time in different signs. All of which is to say that people get their Pluto square at different ages. So Saturn is Saturn, Kronos, Father Time is always like clockwork. It happens for everyone at the same time, but with Pluto it can vary. And so um, for me, it was the, my mid 30s, and I think typically it's like mid to late 30s, maybe as late as early 40s, but somewhere it it definitely falls into the midlife crisis transit category. We looked it and, up and it looks interesting because it's based on generation. So yours was 30s, right. mine's 40, young, uh, early 40s. Uh, the wife's is mid 40s. Uh, then there's like, we have already looked up generations that are going to be in the 50s and late 50s when Whoa. their Pluto square happens, which is crazy to me Wild. because it happens so late in their life. And it's based on these generations. So it seems to be catching up. Do you think, and side question, you can answer it however you want, that then somebody will get two Pluto squares in their life? 
if we live long enough? I don't think so. I don't think they would get two Pluto squares. They, I mean, they, they, they might get the opposition. Years, right. Right. But again, it's very elliptical. Right. You know, but it, I'm going to say that I'm kind of jealous of the people who get the Pluto square Dude, later. This in is what life. we were talking about, because you're mentally more able to handle oh. it. God, oh, yeah. right? No, <laughs> I mean, luck, kids, you're welcome. I, yeah. No, I mean, any Pluto transit is really hard. Like when I look back to my mid thirties and, you know, because my son is conjunct Pluto and I've got two other planets there too, my, and Pluto was also opposite my ascendant. Anyway, it was like Pluto hell for years. And, you know, my, my younger self was not, not in the best place to um, work with that, you know? And, and as I see older people who are going through other Pluto transits, and they're like having fun with it and they're on fire with it. I'm like, damn. Fuck you. Yeah. yeah I love you, but fuck, fuck you. you. It's like people um, have kids later in life. They seem to have an easier time with it because they're just chill. Again, I think it has to do with your fucks factor. I think you yeah. give a lot of fucks and so there's a ton of resistance in you. Uh, and then that sort of gets whittled down by the reality of time. Okay. And you said the key word here, which is resistance. Um, so in talking about the, the Pluto square Pluto, this is a real confrontation with your deepest, darkest, most fearful, is a confrontation with your shadow would be one way to say it. And typically what comes up, I mean, let me say first, I, I think part of the assignment, like I, I really think about transits or you know influences as assignments, like what's your assignment for this period? What's the, um, what it, what's the purpose here? What's the meaning and purpose here, right? So I think the meaning and purpose of a Pluto square is to go on a deep dive into what's been holding me back. What is the part of myself I'm hiding? And, you know, we typically think about shadow and think like, oh, I don't want people to see how bad I am or what's wrong with me. But there's also our greatness. And, you know, as Marianne Williamson famous, famously said, like, it's not, you know, what we're most afraid of is our power, essentially. Right. And and Pluto is ultimately about power. Um, Pluto in Greek means treasure or riches. So it's the idea that if we're willing to go on the underworld journey and get, you know, dive in deep enough, we're going to get to the gold. But the process of getting to the gold is really painful and it's a dismantling. So the Pluto square is it's a dismantling of who we are not. And, you know, Pluto can have a lot to do with our values and how we're expressing our values or living our values. So we're confronted with like, am I really like ultimately, am I being myself? Am I being authentic? And part of the gold that Pluto is trying to get to is our core vitality. This is ultimately a process of regeneration, death and rebirth. And we go on the underworld journey so we can shed, you know, we can think of the snake as a symbol for Pluto. We can think of the phoenix, burn it all down and rise from the ashes, which is probably more appropriate to how we feel going on a Pluto yes. journey. Right. So it's a lot of the process is surrendering what we're not. And often I think a lot of the discomfort that might be a gentle word, of the Pluto process is that we have to let go without knowing what's going to replace it. And I think, I think, you know, I think the reason this is so hard or one of the reasons this is so hard is because of the cultural context where we're supposed to have all the answers. We're supposed to have the five-year plan. We're supposed to always keep moving forward. 
But the Plutonian process is an undoing. It's a dismantling. It's a peeling away the layers of the onion and getting to, okay, what's what have I been hiding? And not only, you know, needing to, this is a time when we need to come to terms with our shame and our trauma and our guilt and ideally have at least one person we can speak with honestly about that. Um, but it's also a time where we have to come come to terms with the greatness in ourselves that we're hiding and that we're afraid of and that we're not expressing. Um, so yeah, pretty uh, um, transformational time. And because Pluto moves so slowly, this process lasts for about three years. Yes, it is the. I mean, really, the, the you nailed it here. That's a the most one of the most beautiful explanations I've ever heard of this. It's one of those, and it was that. Plus, um, I had a Saturn square and a Uranus square at the same time, and so it was that. So, astrologer Ksenia, God bless her. She was like, "Look, it's not the worst chart I've ever seen, but it's very high on the list." I was like, <laughs> "Awesome." So, well, so, well, see, that's the thing. If you're getting if you're getting the Pluto square at, in your early forties, then it's combining with the Uranus opposition. Yeah, that with, one. Right, which yeah. is late thirties, early forties, and and that's the classic midlife crisis transit. So that's whoa, you get get all well, you you know, ambitious soul. You want to power through it all in a couple of years and get her done. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing good. It, it did dim the light. I'll say that. You know, I'm doing my best to get it cranked back up, but I don't see this place the same. I really don't. I'm, and that's not to my detriment. Like, I'm not upset about it. It's just kind of a bummer in a way that I had a lot of whimsy. I feel like I lost in the shedding, you know? I I completely relate to that. And one of the ways that, that I think about the Pluto square is a loss of innocence. Yeah, there a you go. A loss of innocence. Yeah. And, I, and there's like a leaving home quality and you're not coming back. You're not going yeah. back to where you were. And that that can be really devastating. And that was my experience in, um, it wasn't my Pluto square Pluto, but another massive Pluto transit where I, I, I felt like I had a real confrontation with evil, which, you know, kind of up close and personal, which I hadn't wanted to acknowledge was real or was real in my reality, <laughs> you know, like, sure, maybe there's some evil out there, but I'm, I'm creating my beautiful. And, and this is, you know, coming back to, um, well, Pluto as a force beyond the ego's control. So Pluto is an outer planet, a transpersonal planet. And this is where surrender comes in, where it's like, if if we're holding on, like, hell no, you know, if the resi resistance is going to come in. Um, and the more we hold on to, like, no, I'm not letting go of this, or I'm not going to let go of this until you give me something to read. No. And Pluto's like, ha, 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 ha. Okay, well, let's just burn the whole house down then, you know, um, just showing us how puny we are in some sense, which I think is like a, a phase of humbling as a prerequisite to coming into more of our power. Because I would say, on one level, I think Pluto is ultimately about power, but it's not the the power of little me. It's the power of surrendering to something bigger coming through me, not the, not the nefarious entities or the archons, but like, being so in alignment with 
who I am at the deepest level that I'm like this, I'm a force, you know, versus like, I'm trying to wrestle reality to be what I think it should be or how it's supposed to look like, you know, so it's very, yeah, I'd say humbling. Yeah, it is. And what I encountered was this, um, it was this instant epiphany of like, holy shit, I've been fooled this whole time. You know, that's what I felt like. And so it was me looking at myself like, how stupid, like, how could you be that dumb, you know, kind of a thing. Like, it was obvious it's right in front of you the whole time. And this is, uh, and that's what it was. So it was like a lot of punishment of self, you know, in that time, a lot of like, uh, how could you be so because it's so clear, right? And so there, there was that. And so it just bugs me that it feels like, Again, just sort of the conversation we're having at a, at a level here as I hover and, and glance at it from this one perspective, I can say that it seems like, well, then it blows that you need to be kind of led down a certain avenue only to have it all crumble deliberately because you all go through this. It's it's this shit process, you know, and again, we can we can talk modus operandi of this place and how choices and decisions are made, how your ability to interpret information then reflects on your ability to make choices and then do actions here and stuff like that. So, again, it feels like with this advanced knowledge, it would have been nice to say sort of George Costanza this thing in a moment, honestly, to where have all this intention in my heart to go one way, but go hang on. In 20 years, I'm going to fucking hate that thing. And I'm going to say, this is stupid, and I'm going to want to kill myself because of it. So why don't we just avoid doing that thing in the first place? Now, then I would say that I'd have missed out on all the cool shit in between, right? I, I get the journey. But again, it's I see it, and I get it. Um, but it doesn't mean that from where I'm at, I'm not flipping it off. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, one of the big myths or stories associated with Pluto is the story of Persephone, right? And and the way that that story is most often told is that she was kidnapped by Pluto, by Hades, and brought, you know, this innocent maiden wandering around the meadows, la la la, and then Pluto came and brought her down to the underworld. Well, I heard a retelling of that story that is supposedly the the more ancient version of that story um, I heard this. I heard Clarissa Piccola Estes tell this story that actually in the older version, Persephone decided to go to the underworld, that she was she was her young maiden self frolicking around picking daisies or whatever, but heard the cries of the dead in the underworld. And she wanted to go there. She chose to go there. And that's the process of maturation. Right to to face the darkness and to face evil, and you know, and I think about our friend Kate Montana and her journey and and her book Cracking the Matrix, which is about that confrontation with evil and coming out of this, like it's all love and light and let's just focus on the light and it's all good. And I think you know the Plutonian process is one that puts us in touch with those darker sides of life as as a necessary step in the maturation process that's it's getting real you know like where are we actually and what is going on here and then but then it's like and how do we find our power in relation to that versus i'm i'm pulled down into the underworld maybe chose to go most of us don't choose to go there pulled down into the underworld and it fucking sucks and <laughs> You know, and here I am, <laughs> you know, like, okay, yes, that's part of the process. And then, but then what do we do? You get up and you keep going. 
Yeah. Well, and we keep going, hopefully, with more wisdom and with more compassion. I mean, I know having gone through what I went through, I I have a lot more compassion for, you know, and less judgment and less like, well, well, clearly she fucked something up for life to be like that. You know, it's like, oh, man, I've been there, you know. Yeah, but I feel like I've had an abundance of empathy, which is great, but also, yes, this amplification of empathy, not only with my uh, use of psychedelics and all of that, but also this plattern, (laughs) plattern, this flat, uh, Pluto, Saturn, whatever the fuck, all that stuff that happened. Yes, more and more and more and more and more empathetic to a world that's rich in chaos and catastrophe and horrors and bad complete cycle decisions that you could see your parents or whatever making constantly and you can't do anything about it but be emotionally affected by it, but your job is to not be emotionally affected by it the more you get emotionally affected by it, which is allegedly a superpower. So again, um, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of goes to this just really interesting place again with me right now, and it's got to be astrologically, and so I want to I talk to you about that before we wrap as well. Uh, time of the month, okay? So I noticed this probably about 20 years ago with myself, that around new moon, for some damn reason, I'm not sure if it has to the moon, and this is what I'd like to talk to you about. For some reason, I get very ornery. I get very the opposite of me, the opposite of the one that wants to sit here and have a conversation with you, that really loves to be convivial and interact with people. I go full hermit, fuck everybody. Like I'm very introspective and hard on myself during that time. It seems that I'm rich with anxiety and um, shit feelings, you know, bullshit, uh, nonsense, small mind thinking and actions, okay? So in that, I, I, the question is, is does your moon time of birth play an effect on that energetically with you through its cycle, through the moon cycle? Does it pull on the in- individual as you were born in relationship to it? And then is there anything to that? Or am I just having a time of the month and that's just my way of marking it? Yeah, well, first of all, I'd say generally, I'm going to come back to your question about the birth chart, but generally the new moon is a very inward time and it's supposed to be. It's the dark of the moon. So we're in the darkness. We're in the dark time. So it's supposed to be a time of retreat and introspection and reflection. So you're right on. And I think- sweet. I think, again, I think cultural context is everything, right? We're not in a, a, a culture that honors the new moon in the phase. You know what I mean? Like, the, we don't have time for introspection. What do you mean you don't want to talk to people? You need to be out there. You need to be producing. You need to be making it happen. Rah, 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 rah. Yeah, so, so and that could be creating conflict in terms of the, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And I know that you're also a Virgo um, and we can have a lot of, shoulds and self-judgment and self-criticism um and i will say also that i I know that you were born at a new moon or just after a new moon and so maybe part of it too is that this is your power time like it's very useful to know which moon phase you were born in that has a lot to do with um not only you know kind of feed into your personality whatever like i'm a disseminating moon which is the phase after the full moon i'm a disseminator i'm a natural teacher i've always been a teacher whatever i'm doing right um disseminating information but also if you know which phase you were born in you really want to honor that phase as your power time and so maybe part of the like fuck you i don't want to talk to anyone is because like you know that this is your time to be creating and to really be like tuning in deeply to yourself because new moon people, the new moon babies, you're the visionaries. 
you've got a vision and you're and you're someone who has to keep reinventing yourself. There's a lot of good energy for you in starting new things. Right? Again, culture doesn't like that. You're supposed to decide what you're going to do and do it be the, and be that, you know, who are you going to be? Okay, be that person for the next 50 years. New moon people are like, I got to keep reinventing. And the way you do that is by going in and having that deep time with yourself. It's fascinating because this past time, I remember I texted you about this and I think we rescheduled something because of my whatever. And so it's it's a time where I'm just, I've, I've marked it in my calendar for the rest of the year. The day of, uh, day before, day after, I'm not scheduling anything. I'm not doing guest appearances. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. I'm spending time on the journals and creativity and stuff like that. I've got the next version of uh, Mindful Expansion that I'm working on now and it's on the drawing board. It's beautiful. And it's taken a lot of focus and energy. And so it's I've taken that energy and just placed it into that block of time and said, okay, here's all I'm going to do with this. Now, when you texted me and said it's my power time of the month, I've been really rewriting that as a mantra in my head going through this. But I'll be honest with you, this whole last one was really, really fucking rough. And I struggled through the creativity. I didn't feel like doing anything, which pissed me off even more. I didn't feel powerful at all. And so this is the fascinating part about treating it as if it's my power time of the month that I didn't feel power. It's the least powerful I feel, you know what I mean? So it's fascinating that it's, and so therefore, again, it's this <laughs> mind fuck of, okay, cool. Yeah. Here's your power time of the month, buddy. Here's that time you can get anything done you want, but you will instantly be zapped of all motivation and give a fucks and love of any of it. And so it's this, again, juxtapose sort of energetic guarantee that the universe has that once a month, you're going to be expected to or have the ability to at a, at a level you're unable to reach this incredible potential that you just can't fucking get to because we've also grabbed a big old stack of whatever and slapped it on you at the same time this is what it feels like and so this like here you go but fuck you at the same it's it's an interesting thing that i'm very much looking forward to transcending if it's what's happening i'm, I'm looking forward to at least not feeling that that's what's occurring mm -hmm. well i'd also say that it could be you know as a new moon person you're very sensitive to whatever that particular new, you know, the energetics of that particular new moon, you're feeling them more strongly. I mean, and being a Virgo with a Libra moon, like that is, you know, super spidey sense, like very tuned in. Um, and this past new moon was pretty extreme that we just had. So it, it might be that you're just really, you know, feeling all, you know, not just the sun and moon, but feeling the whole energetics of that new moon, whatever all the other planets are doing as well. Yeah. Well, um, yes, uh, possibly that's what's going on. And thank you for this. It's, it's just, it's like, um, it's fascinating and interesting. And again, the more I, more I look into astrology, the more fascinated I am by it. She'll say, oh, this person, whatever. And then we'll confirm it with the person that, the, like their dad died at a young age because their, this is in that house. It's, insane the way this it's insane <laughs> it's like it's what insane. the fuck so people look into it check emily down in the show description as well want to touch in with our artist here whitney is doing an amazing job painting some areas look at that that's absolutely beautiful how cool is this everybody and uh she is also going to be linked down below we're not done yet i just wanted to hop in and say hi god she's doing cool but um, yeah, so I also wanted to tell you uh, an interesting story, and then I'm going to let you get the last word about this. Linda Goodman's, um, Linda Goodman's Sun Signs, okay? Now, this book I bought in a used bookstore probably over 20 years ago. I've only glanced in it and just thought it was really cool and wanted to have it. Now, um, 
this thing ha used to sit uh, in under my computer to prop it up because it's got a good height to it. It's got a good thickness, you know, and so I'd have it right here. I thought it was cool vibes anyway, and so I did that. Now, um, for the audience's sake here, video version, uh, you might want to check this out for this, but this book, the specific item I am holding in my hand plays a far more important role in this show in particular. This book has actually been heard in every single episode I've released with an intro song. Now, the reason is, is because I created the intro song for the show, okay? All the music and all that kind of stuff. I did all of that, but there was a part where I wanted the rhythm to drive a little bit, and I couldn't get it in a sound that I was using. I just couldn't find it, right? So I had my microphone on here. I took this very book, stuffed it in my pants, and played it like that. And I had a shirt over it, or I just... So you can hear that in the intro song. If you listen very closely, that sound from that book is in that song. So it's in every single song that I have. It was a percussive instrument that I used because I couldn't find one that I liked. That's amazing. What a cool synchronicity that you even brought cool it up. How cool. All right. Well, I'm going to put it to the forefront here and I'll give it a, a more than a thumb through there on your recommendation. Emily, well, this is my, this is my 13 year old self who fell in love with it. I, don't, I haven't looked at it in a while. I don't know, you know, but probably worth looking at. No, fair enough. Yeah. And I mean, it, if nothing else, it's been a very useful tool for the show at large. So I really appreciate its uh, existence in my life for sure, especially as a musical instrument in a pinch. <laughs> it's got a good percussive. It's got a deep, it's thick, you know, it's old. So they did them right. I don't know. I tried it with many books and that was just the best one that did it. So uh, before we wrap here, I again just wanted to touch on uh, Whitney Fox is amazing creation here and see if she had anything she wanted to say about her piece. We're going to let you guys know in the show description how to find her and all of the ways that you can find all of her amazing art. Whitney and I are actually working on an incredibly cool project right now that I've not talked about yet and we're not ready to. But when we when it happens, you will know and it's incredible. So look forward to that. But beyond that, just wanted to thank Whitney um, for hanging out and being our creative expansion artist for this show. And just to let everybody know again in the show description that that's where you can find her. Whitney, thank you so much. Yeah, that was fun. Really fun. I love the uh conversation as well i just kept wanting to say something though so <laughs> well you you did you just said it in in visuals and i love that because maybe you know the moon is in aries right now as we're recording it, yes yeah exactly so this is from a digital digital painting i did for aries i haven't posted it yet i don't know if you can see that yeah yeah i'm gonna keep uh developing it uh as far as this piece goes uh, like an hour was really kind of just enough time to get the underpainting in. So I'm just going to keep working it, develop it as much as the digital painting is, and then probably go into it with oil for you artists out there. I just started with some acrylic underpaint. So anyway, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Hopefully it was some nice eye candy to watch. Mm -hmm. So cool. cool. All right, we're going to oh, do our best. And I, Emily, I think I learned so much. <laughs> so I'm going to look into your services and not only a chart, but maybe, you know, you teach classes because I've personally, I've always been fascinated with astrology, always from really, really young, just something, something there, you know, one of the whys to my parents, like, why, why does this happen with astrology? Why, you know? So anyway, fascinating. Cool. Yeah, that I love that. Sounds like you. It sounds like you know your shit, dude. So. <laughs>
<laughs> she really does. Back. And she's fan. There's a ray of sunshine, too. Look at that. She didn't stop smiling. She's just a beautiful light that's shining out here with these amazing answers and insights. And yeah, we're grateful. Thank so you. definitely. And I'll get you two connected. You uh, maybe have her on your show. You know, Emily, it's an, the Embodied oh, yeah. Aquarian. We didn't even talk about it, but your show and everything is going to be linked down below for sure. Um, so, uh, Send us off on a high note. Send us off on what gets you out of bed every morning. And then I'm going to uh, hang on here before we roll out, though, because we're going to do a question after that. But uh, if you don't mind, um, what gets you out of bed every morning? What gives you hope? And just thank you so much for coming on. This has been fascinating. Many, many more of these to look forward to. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Super fun to talk with you. Um, you know, I'm I'm inspired by what humans are actually capable of. And, you know, Pluto just went into Aquarius, Pluto, the transformer, the underworld, and there's all this dark shit that's coming up with Aquarian technology and transhuman and humanism, all that crap. But to me, what's really exciting is that this is the time for us to wake up to who we actually are as humans and what we're capable of and the incredible miracles that we're able to create through our consciousness, which machines do not have. And we'll never have, and we will never be replaced by machines because we have souls and we have consciousness and that's where the magic happens. And so I'm, I'm in it for the, for the waking up and utilizing our potential and breaking free. And I think astrology is an incredible tool for liberation, but it's just a tool. So it can also be used for enslavement and limitation, but I'm in it for the liberation and um, along those lines, I'm going to be offering a mentorship program. I haven't done one in about 10 years, but starting in May, I'm going to offer a mentorship for people who want to become professional astrologers because we need more people using this tool for healing, for transformation, for evolution and consciousness. And that's what excites me. Just want to take a moment here and thank Emily Trinkus for joining us for that incredibly cool astrology talk. Find her linked down below at the embodiedaquarian.com. Super cool. Check out her Substack as well. Both linked down below, guys. Also, our creative expansion artists want to send a beautiful shout out to Whitney Fox for helping beautify that incredibly beautiful conversation. And all the ways to find her and that incredibly cool piece are going to be located down below as well. Now, if you'd like to join us for something we are calling the afterthought, which there is still more of this conversation to enjoy, you can do that at the link below that reads Patreon, and that's where our value exchange audience is just having a blast with our hangouts, the replays of all of the bonus content, the bonus material going on, as well as, again, the afterthoughts for these type episodes here, where we really go deep on some new moon continued exploration talk as well as Pluto in Aquarius and what that looks like for humanity at this time. So make sure that you check the link down below so that you can take advantage of that as well as our hangouts with these amazing people when they come about. I also want to mention that expandingrealitypodcast.com is back up and running thanks to Cam Kari. Love you guys. Link down below guys. Check him out for all your website needs as well and just dopeness in general. Now, on ExpandingRealityPodcast.com, it's going to feature things like links to the show, as well as our publishing house, Redigital Publishing, which we have a new journal out that makes six in the count in two different formats. So check that out, as well as uh, the events, which we are very grateful to add with this befriending Bigfoot event, our Expanding Reality excursions taking place May 15th through 20th in beautiful Blairsville, Georgia on a 27-acre ranch out there. It's called Sugar Boo Farms. How adorable is that, guys, right? So uh, it's worth it just to check out the uh, expandingrealitypodcast.com slash events to see the Sugar Boo Farms pictures of this place. So you can just go check it out. 
Now, uh, this thing's going to feature like hikes in like three different states. We're doing kayaking, we're doing nightly UFO watching, jam sessions, presenters are going to be streamed live every night on YouTube, but you're definitely going to want to be there. It's going to be way cooler in person. So again, guys, expandingrealitypodcast.com. But if you want to specify, you can go to the events section specifically. Just want to thank you all again for listening, for watching, for enjoying, and just send you along your way by reminding you to be good to everybody. We'll see you next time. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.